achieved through an international organization that trains business professionals. And after I went through that training, I saw a great impact in my ability to have success in the business world. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And so the organization brought me back as a graduate assistant to help train other people in the future. And so I would work with the regional director of this training program, and we would help to equip other sales professionals on how they could go and do their craft to the best of their ability. We would have classes where we would teach things like how to build rapport with people, how to kind of flush out hidden objectives as to why somebody won't move forward in a sales process, and, and most importantly, how to actually close a deal with somebody. A little tip if you're in sales, uh, quit talking, actually, is <laughs> one of the first tips to closing a deal. Stop talking and just close the deal. Anyways, you can talk to me more about that later. Uh, but one of the last classes that we would do in this tr tra uh, sales stream is we would hold a really fun time where we would help people to develop pep talks. What these were were these 15-second motivational phrases that people would say to themselves, not, not to the customer, not in front of the customer. They would, they would say these pep talks to themselves before they walked into the office. And, and they're quite interesting. It was a lot of fun to create these and to practice them and to do them in class. And some of them were rather classic. People would choose a, a pep talk such as they would say to themselves, carpe diem. Who knows what that says, what that means? Seize the day. And so before they walked in the office, they'd be saying, seize the day. And then in they go. We had other people who were a little more simpler, but a little more energetic. They would say things like, get in there and just do it. And that worked for them. They'd be able to pump themselves up and head in the office. Others would have little pep talks along the lines of, you've won the deal before, you will win the deal again. So go get it. And they would head in and do it. So some of them were a little more humorous. My favorite one that came up during these sessions was one guy who had his pep talk. And every time as he was taking the elevator up to the office, as the elevator doors opened, he would say to himself, you're going to pop like popcorn. <laughs> and, then, and then he would march into the office. And, and he did. So the purpose of these pep talks for these guys was to get their adrenaline going, to get some energy happening, to build confidence so they could open the doors, walk into that customer's office and say, I got this. You might wonder if before I step on the platform with that training that I've done with people in the past, do I still do pep talks before I stand up here? And I'm not going to answer that for you. You can answer that for me and you can tell me if I pop like popcorn when we're done. So, all right. So. But in the same manner that these pep talks were used, is sometimes how I find followers of Jesus Christ use the verse that we're going to focus upon today. And it's a verse that is a motivational phrase. It's a motivational verse found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, that says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know that verse? It's encouraging, isn't it? And it should be. I'm not going to tear that part down today. It's just <laughs> as a forewarning. But, but sometimes the way that we apply this can be, well, misquoted. For example, last week I had the opportunity to play some baseball games with our church softball team. And I remember 20 years ago when I was, I was okay. I was pretty good, right? And so I'm a little older now. But what I say to myself, I can do all things. No, I can't. I can't do all things. I can do some things. I can do some things well still, but my reflexes are not nearly as good as they used to be. I cannot get nearly as low as I used to for those grounders. <laughs> that definitely doesn't happen. I, I've heard stories of 
weight rooms in Christian colleges where they've got a sign on the wall that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then these young guys walk in and they'll 300 pounds on the bench press bar and they can get it down, but can they? Get, I can't do all things. I can't get the bar up. What, what I can do is call you an ambulance to help you get those 300 pounds up. Or, or perhaps a young man who sees a, a lovely young lady across the yard at a barbecue and thinks to himself, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so he walks up to this lovely young lady and says, I was doing my devotions last night. I was reading the book of Numbers and I realized I don't have yours yet. <laughs> and that's why Nadine was still available when, <laughs> when I met her. Right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Nope, not always. So the idea here is that if we set our hearts and our minds on Christ, we can achieve and overcome anything. Anything in this world that we want to. But what happens when we don't? What happens when I can't get low enough to get the ground? Or what happens when I don't get the lovely young lady's numbers? What then? Well, I want to suggest to you that the issue begins with the fact that we've misquoted what Paul was saying here. And as we take a closer look at this incredible declaration, a declaration that we can claim in our own lives, just as Paul did in his life, but with the proper understanding of what he was talking about. As we unpack this a bit, I think we're going to come to see that, that all things does not always mean all things, at least not the way that we want it to. So let me take the rest of the time I have here today to explain what I mean by that. See, this is a great motivational phrase. It's a great motivational promise. And Paul was not lying to us when he said this in Philippians chapter 4. But what's missing is the basis upon which he is saying this. Consider, for example, when Paul wrote these words. He was writing this phrase while he was sitting in a Roman prison. A prison that he had been in for two years or more at this point, plus the time he had spent incarcerated during his time in Palestine. So he's been in jail for over two years at this point when he writes this verse. Now, true, it's not a hardcore prison, it's a house arrest situation where people can come still visit him and they can bring gifts to support and encourage him and he's able to write letters and correspond and encourage other people. Uh, but it's far from easy. He's constantly under guard. He does not have freedom to come and go as he would like to. There are people who are trying to kill him. There are people who are trying to defame him, which is part of the reason he's under guard. And he still has yet to stand trial, receive his sentence, for which he could still lose his life. So while he's under house arrest, do not think this is by any means an easy situation for him. And yet in the midst of it, he has this unwavering joy. Philippians is referred to as the epistle of joy. He just keeps having this joyful sense throughout the entire letter that doesn't make sense to his situation. But it's this unwavering joy and peace that he has in this particular situation. And that's one of the bases for which he writes the letter, a letter of support to the church in Philippi. And we read this in verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I am well-fed, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty, or if I'm living in want. See, Paul's saying that I, have, I, I know what it's like, folks. I know there are some days when I'm up, and there are some days when I'm down. 
There are some days when it feels like I can make it on my own strength, and there are some days where I feel like I don't have the strength to get out of bed. He understands that there's these ups and these downs, but he claims in the midst of all that to have found the victory, to have found the secret of contentment that transcends every situation. And the key here is in the word content. You see, in the time and the culture in which he was writing this, the word content was commonly used by other Stoic philosophers, which was a prevailing thought pattern of the time. These Stoic philosophers who said one of the ultimate goals in life is to achieve contentment. And the way that you achieve contentment is to become completely self-sufficient, was how they explained to people that you would achieve contentment. You need to reach a point in your life where you have no need for anything or anyone outside of yourself. When you achieve that level of self-sufficiency, you will be able to live on your own power and then be content because you'll be lacking nothing because you need nothing outside of yourself. Now, Paul has a different view. Paul's view is a bit different. He says, I've, I've learned a different way of viewing this. Through, through trial and error, through trying their way and other people's ways, I've found, I've learned a different way of viewing contentment. He says, here's the secret. And the secret is verse 13 that we're focusing upon today. The secret is, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So the secret is something beyond himself. The secret is something that was within reach. The secret is something that he can lay claim to, but it's beyond himself. That's where the secret is revealed. So I offer this to you at the beginning, because as we take into account Paul's situation of him being in prison, and we also consider how he's using this motivational verse, he's using it, positioning it as the secret to joy, contentment, and victory, considering that context, we can start to now piece together when all things does mean all things. When does all things mean all things? Well, first of all, it means all things when it's defined within your context, within your existing situation. What do we know? We know Paul was in prison. Therefore, by definition, he was not free to do all things that he may want to do. If he wanted to go somewhere, he had to ask permission and be followed by these guards. He was not free to do all things. If he tried to ditch the guards and go off and do his own thing, he would find himself in shackles and chains. He was not free to do all things. And if he were to speak out against the wrongful imprisonment in such a situation, he could be sentenced and killed. He was not free to do all things. But Paul chose to remain in this situation. It was not one that he wanted. It wasn't a vacation by any means. But he accepted that this was God's will for his life. We see this in the book Acts, Acts chapter 9. God says, Paul, you must suffer for my name. Acts chapter 23, take courage, Paul. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify about me in Rome. Put those together, suffering, testifying in Rome. Put those together. It is God's will for Paul to be in prison in Rome. He revealed it to him throughout the book Acts before it even happened. That was God's will. It wasn't Paul's choice but it was clearly God's will for Paul. Therefore, all things must be defined within the terms of the context in which we find ourselves. And this isn't new. Think of it this way. Context appears everywhere. Think of it this way, for example. If, if you say to your wife, where would you like to go for dinner tonight, honey? And she says classically, 
anywhere you want. It's fine. We know the trap here. That's a different message, right? But she says, anywhere you want. She doesn't really mean anywhere you want. Anywhere you want means you could literally take her to Canadian Tire and walk through the automotive section. Anywhere you want means you could take her to Home Depot and go look at new tools. Anywhere you want means I could drive to a vacant lot and say, here we are. No, in the context of the question, in the context of the situation that we find ourselves in, you would take her to a place that serves food, right? Probably food that she likes would be a good move. If you're going on a date, maybe go to Earl's, right? If you're, if you're with the kids, maybe go to McDonald's. That would be an answer within the context of the question, an answer that helps us to define anywhere it doesn't always mean anywhere. All things doesn't always mean all things, Therefore, Paul has the power to do all things that God has called him to do while he is in prison. Does that make sense? Now, barring the change of God's will, barring a miracle where God causes him to throw the doors open and walk out, which has happened in Paul's life, but but barring that sort of situation, Paul is not free to impose his own will upon the situation. He's not free to just say, you know what, I'm kind of done with prison. Thanks for guarding me. I'm just going to go home now. He's not free to do all things. But what is he able to do? He is able to write letters of encouragement He is able to write letters and teach people back in Philippi and other areas where he's planted churches. He's able to meet with and encourage local followers of Christ to embolden them. He's still able to worship in the context in which he finds himself. He's able to still faithfully serve God in that particular situation. And that's what he did. That's what he did. And powerful things of God were worked through him as he did that. As he opens his letter to the Philippians, he says this in chapter 1, starting in verse 12. He says, what has happened to me, being imprisoned, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result of me being in prison, of being in this particular situation, it has become clear throughout the entire palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. The brothers and sisters, those who live here in Rome with me, who are coming to visit me and I have interaction with, are becoming more confident in Christ. They are starting to declare and proclaim the good news without fear because of the example that I'm setting for them. Even under house arrest, Paul is able to encourage the Philippians. He's able to train up and raise up followers to preach the gospel in Rome. And those guards who are around him all the time, who are chained to him and watching him and following him everywhere, he's preaching to them and they're getting saved. All things within that context are possible. Now, but how do we often understand all things? This is where we fall down on how we apply this verse sometimes. I think as I, as I talk to people and examine my own life, sometimes the way that we define all things is looking at what we want, what our desired outcome is, contrary to the situation in which we find ourselves. And so that's the motivation. That's the direction that we pursue. We see this with people who are unhappy in a current job situation. And so they pray for greener grasses. Just move me somewhere else. And they start to look around for other job opportunities. And that's the direction that they go, a motivation from dissatisfaction in the current situation. There are numerous times, more times than I care to count, of people that I've counseled who who are like, "I, I just wish I had married somebody else. 
I just wish my spouse was somebody else. And even aside from godly counsel, they choose to leave the marriage. And then they pray, Lord, bring me a new partner. Help me get a fresh start. The whole while, they're still the same person that they've always been. People who say the current church is not meeting my new needs or my needs that I have. So I'm going to move on and find a new one, maybe, maybe a bigger one. Maybe a pastor down the road, they got a, they got a pastor that pops like popcorn down there. So they move on. But is it possible? And here, here's the question. Is it possible that you're already where God wants you to be? Maybe you want to be on vacation, but God's placed you in prison, metaphorically speaking. Is it possible you're already where God wants you to be? He's already where he needs you to be. Now, while it's not easy, while it's not perfect, it's what he needs you to be in, in the particular moment. And maybe he needs you in that situation because there's still some rough edges on your character. There's still some rough edges on how you relate to people that he needs to kind of chisel off before you're ready for the next relationship, before you're ready for the next opportunity. Is it possibly has you where you are? Because it's not easy, but he needs you there to reach somebody for Jesus that nobody else could reach. Is it possible he has you where you are right now because you need to learn a new skill? You, you need to develop new character so that you can serve and encourage others somewhere down the road? I don't know. It's a question to ask, though, because here's what I know. I know that sometimes God calls people in new situations. I know sometimes he, we find ourselves in situations that are of our choosing. I mentioned my first career in sales. I, I knew I was called to ministry before I entered into that world. So I knew I went my own way and that God had called me to something else. Sometimes there is a new situation that we need to move into. But here's what I know about how you can determine that. You see, rarely do I believe God calls people from things. If you are being called from something, there's a good chance that that's your own will wanting to upgrade your situation. I want to leave something. I'm being called from something. There's a good chance that's your will wanting to find an upgrade for yourself. Here's what I know. Rarely, if ever, does that happen because God tends to call people to things. He tends to call you to something, not from something. From something is sometimes us running from a situation we don't like. Calling us to something is us getting into the flow of the will of God. Now, it may not be easy, but if that's where he wants us, it's where he will grow us. So when Paul says all things... What he means is, I can do all things according to God's will for me in any given situation in which he has planted me. It's more words than Paul used. Does that make sense? You understand that? Because we need to understand that before we understand the next one. Because once we understand that I can do all things in the given context in which God has called me to, once we understand that we are in that situation in which God has placed us, we then come to understand that all things is also defined by the resources that we get tapped into. Let me explain that one for you. In this passage, Paul prefaces the promise of verse 13 with verse 12, where he talks about the ability to do all things begins with that secret of finding contentment. Remember? Verse 12. And remember what the Stoic philosophers taught. The Stoics taught that contentment is found in self-sufficiency. And I think we can relate to this Stoic ideology as well. For example, when things are going well in your life, 
when everything just seems to be falling into place for you and you're just having success left, right, and center, I know we don't have many days like that, but I hope we all had some of them. Perhaps you can look back to a time in your life where that was the situation. What's your internal dialogue? I got this. Bring it on. I can handle it, is the way that our internal dialogue starts to happen. But here's the thing. We don't just think that way when things are going well. We actually start to think that way a little bit when things are not going well as well, when we enter into a season of strife. How many of us know somebody, or maybe even know ourselves, that when struggles start to well up in our lives or in somebody's life that we know, this is especially common for guys, that our reaction is to shut down. Our reaction, sorry guys, I'm like giving away secrets here, but our, our reaction is to shut down. Our reaction is to turn inward. We kind of go into our caves. Any ladies familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. I see a lot of wives looking at a lot of husbands, including mine, looking at me. Because this happens, and it's not just guys. A lot of people do this. So when things are going well, we turn inward. I got this. I can handle this. When things start going bad, we turn inward. I got this. I can handle this. This is that Stoic philosophy. That's how we try to handle all things that come our way. I went for coffee with a guy one time a number of years back. I knew he was struggling. The whole world knew this guy was struggling. Like, like, it was obvious just the way he carried himself and spoke. And so I asked him, what's wrong? Nothing. Right? It's always the first answer you get. Nothing. No, really, I, I, I can tell that you're having a hard time. Let me see if I can help. You wouldn't understand. Well, try me. I'll be okay. I got this. He was totally turned within himself. Self-reliant, self-sufficiency was the name of his game. Eventually, he opened up to me. Here's what was going on. His son had become a drug addict and got his girlfriend pregnant, was now thinking of quitting school, getting a job, and moving out to get a house with her. They were too young for that. That wasn't the right situation, he felt. At the same time, on the other end of his life, his parents were aging. Their health was failing. They were still living in their old apartment, and they were refusing to leave. And so while he was wrestling with the beginning thoughts of losing his parents, he had to fight with them constantly to get them to move to a place where they needed proper care. And so he's got his one son over here who's heading this way. He's got his parents heading this way. He's stretched and torn in the middle. His wife and him are fighting constantly because of all of this. He wasn't okay. He had created this constant stress. He was trying to do all things for all people under his own power, under his own resources. But recall what Paul said. What was the secret to contentment? What was the secret to being able to do all things? It was external to himself. Right? What did he say? I can do all things through him. I can do all things through my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. Paul, unlike this guy that I was trying to counsel, Paul was not trying to be his own hero. Why? Because he had already given his life to the hero. He talks about in his letter to Colossians in chapter 2 where he says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus, the hero of every story, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, not in ourselves, but in him, rooted, built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness to our God who is so good. 
Have you ever observed in creation that all of nature, all of the created order, depends upon tapping into a sustaining resource? Ever thought about that? You can go for a nature hike, walk along a river, a deep, powerful, fast-flowing river, but it taps into the source of rains and snow-peaked mountains that melt as its source. You can look at the largest tree that's been there for 100 years. What's the most important part of that tree? The leaves, branches, it's important. It's the most important, it's the trunk. It's important, but if it is the most important, the most important part of the tree are, are the parts that you can't see. It's the roots, the roots that go deep, the roots you can't see, the roots that grow deep so that the tree can weather the storms of life that come its way, the roots that go deep so that it can sustain through the droughts of life that it goes through, the roots that draw water and nutrients and resources that it needs to grow strong and healthy. Paul has learned the secret of the Christian life. The secret of the Christian life, the most important part of the Christian life, the sustaining part of the Christian life is rootedness in Christ. To be rooted in Christ. To have deep roots. Deep roots that will build you up, that will strengthen you so that you can weather the storms of life. So that you can go through the dry spiritual times of life. I have been so blessed and inspired over the years I've been a pastor to be witness to many faithful people within other churches I've served and within this church here at West Meadows where I see people with deep spiritual roots. And when I meet them, and probably when you meet them as well, you know them when you see them because you can tell that their roots go deep. But I've also constantly been grieved and concerned by those that I meet who are trying to live on their own resources, who are trying to do all things on their own resources. What happens? They fall short. They fall short, get frustrated, get discouraged. Start to fall away from the faith. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe God isn't for me. Maybe Paul was wrong and I can't do all things through him. The the problem wasn't Paul or the verse or God. The problem was you were focusing on your own resources. Where do you fall within that? Have you tapped into the resources that will build you up? Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you've tapped into the resources like that man I mentioned who was trying to handle things in his own, he had tapped into himself, into maybe the wisdom of the world, the way the world says things should be done and handled, the power of other people. Sometimes, you know, sometimes that, that feels like enough, but so often it's not. Or have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, become rooted in him, doing the things that allow those roots to go deep, And if you have found yourself rooted in him, just how deep do those roots go? And I would challenge you to consider how would you help those roots go deeper? That's what we're here for in part at West Meadows. We want to help you experience new life with Jesus. Not just the first time you come to accept him and become rooted in him. We want to help you find new life in him as your roots go deeper than you thought they could ever go. Paul was able to draw upon resources from a deep rootedness in Christ. Because of that, he could confidently state that he could do all things according to God's will for him. Why? Because he was rooted in Christ. Amen? 
that when we approach life from this perspective, when we start to approach circumstances from this rootedness perspective, that I can do all things according to God's will, rooted in Christ, when we start to perceive circumstances from that perspective, it opens us up to one very important resource, and that being the strength of Jesus. What do I mean by strength? Well, when we use the word strength, sometimes we, we think like, like muscles, like, like a strong muscle, right? Sometimes we mean it more metaphorically or more relationally. I have a strong influence upon people. I have a, a, a powerful status in the community. I have a strength that I can endure any situations. Sometimes that's how we view the word strength. And this use of strength is often determined, determining kind of who's strong and who's not, is often determined by a comparison of one person to another person or by a person's ability to overcome their own challenges and then have successful objectives. So quite often, this word strength is a relative term based upon what we're aware of, right? So I'm relatively strong compared to the, what I'm aware of. You know, for example, if I was in a classroom of six-year-olds, I guarantee you I am the strongest man in there, right? Relative to where I am, to what I'm exposed to, I'm the strongest person in that room. When I go to the gym, I'm strong, but I'm not the strongest. Sometimes I still stand back and watch a guy deadlift 600 pounds, and I'm like, I'm just going to watch you, man. Like, that's, that's impressive. I'm not the strongest. That's how we use strength sometimes. It's this relative term of what we're aware of, aware of in the moment. Well, if that's how we understand strength, based upon that, Paul was a powerful man of great strength who had accomplished so much. Before he knew Christ, he was a leader of leaders within, within the religious order of the day. He had incredible influence among all the people. He had high knowledge, awareness of the scriptures. He had a lofty position and power that goes with it. He was a strong man. When he became a follower of Christ, he planted churches throughout the known world around the Mediterranean. He impacted the lives of thousands of people for the sake of Christ. He would stand and speak to kings and generals and emperors. It's easy for a guy like that before knowing Christ or afterwards to look at himself in the mirror and feel pretty confident, pretty strong pretty powerful. I've accomplished so many things. I can accomplish anything. It's easy to start to see this trusting in our own strength again. But Paul knew that his greatest strength was relative. Yes, he may be stronger than his neighbor. Yes, he may be stronger than somebody else that he had served alongside of, but relative to the strength of God Relative to God's strength, of which he was aware of, he said, I'm not strong. I'm weak. Philippians 4.13, strength in that verse is confidence in all things because we believe that God has the ability to help us endure. That God is strong, not us, and that we can serve him. I encountered that this week. There were situations this week as I reflect back that there were moments where I was called to lead in situations I had no experience in. I was very aware of my weakness. There were people I had to deal with that I did not see eye to eye with. I was very aware of my weaknesses. 
I had to make some tough decisions that led to some stress in my life. And I'm just like you folks. Just because I'm a pastor and I have a halo that glows doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that uh, I don't have weaknesses. I was keenly aware of them this week. You see, we're going to be in just a couple seconds still, guys. Yeah. Uh, Paul had a, a keen awareness of his own weaknesses as well. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he refers to them as a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what that thorn in the flesh was, what his weakness he's speaking of here is. It, it may have been, some people think, a speech impediment. Some people think it was a temptation he came after. Some people think it was depression that he wrestled with, a difficult person in his life. The th- same things that we wrestle with, the same things that, that we struggle with. And when we get stressed and temptation reels up, rears its head in our lives, it, it can throw us off our game. We don't know exactly what it was, but we do know he asked God to remove it. Because he knew that if God would remove it, he would become more effective in his ministry. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, because God's answer to him was no. God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses. In insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Why? Not because I like being weak. It's because I am keenly aware that when I am weak, I need to reach out to something beyond myself. When I reach out to something beyond myself and it is a strength of God, then in those times when I am weak, I am strong. We don't know if this was a physical issue for him, an emotional, spiritual, relational issue for him. We don't know. It doesn't matter. It was part of God's will for him. And it was part of God's will for him because it kept him from trusting in himself. It kept him from becoming prideful. And it gave him and all those around him the opportunity to see just how great God is through his life. Back in 1920, there was a young lady born who at the age of six weeks, a month and a half old, became ill. And the local doctor of the area came by and offered a solution of an eye ointment for her. The end result of this led to a weakness in her life. She was blinded at the age of six weeks. Blinded for her entire life. Now, as happens for some people, when they lose one sense, their other senses start to strengthen. You've probably heard of that happening to people before. And in her case, while she lost her sense of sight, she had gained the ability to develop a keen memory and a keen sense of creativity. And after she became a Christian, she took this strength of memory, this strength of of creativity, and she put them together and she used them, this memorized scripture and creativity, she used them to compose over 8,000 hymns. Some that you'll know. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This lady's name was Fanny Crosby. Composed over 8,000 hymns, many of which we still are familiar with to this day. And she held no animosity to the so-called doctor who caused her blindness. Instead, she felt that it was a divine opportunity that she had to go impact the world for Jesus. And she prayed that God would use her gift of music to bring others to a saving relationship with Jesus. 
She was asked one day, what would you say to this doctor who caused this weakness, this blindness in your life? And she says, I don't blame the doctor. If I could meet him, I wouldn't blame him. I would tell him that he unwittingly did me a favor. The greatest favor in the world. Because through my weakness, God's power has been revealed throughout ages into so many lives. As Paul declares, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Putting this all together, I think the Living Bible Translation actually presents this particular verse for us in the way that I think is is the most helpful and most clear for us. And here's how they explain it there. I can do everything that God asks me to do with the help of Jesus Christ who gives me strength and who gives me power. What does that mean? That means you may not be able to bench press 300 pounds. You may not be able to go out there and feel the grounders like you could when you were 20. You may not be able to pop in the meeting, but it does mean that Paul's unwavering joy, Paul's unwavering confidence, his contentment can be yours as well. If we'll place our faith in Jesus Christ, who provides for us on time, in his time, every time. Amen? So whatever situation you may be facing right now, whether it's a temptation, whether you're facing a difficult person, a difficult relationship you're trying to navigate, whether you feel like you're in like a no-win situation, or maybe you have a disability like Fanny did, what are you going to tap into? Self-sufficiency? Or will you tap into the incredible resource and the incredible strength of Jesus Christ who makes it possible for you to do all things in the midst of that situation which God has placed you? If you have never had the opportunity to make that choice, to perhaps say, I need a relationship with Jesus, I need to tap into that for the first time, I invite you to do so now. See, all of us have this yearning, this craving within ourselves, and and I think quite often it boils down to this void in our lives that only God can fill. And sometimes what we're seeking after, we try to find in this world the resources of this world, but we just need to get tapped into God through his son, Jesus. We can try on our own, through our own sufficiency, to climb that mountain to find God, to be good enough for him. But I guarantee you we always fall short. But there's another way. And it's the way that, once again, God provided for us, that in our weakness, in our inability to reach him, he came to us in the form of his son, Jesus, who paid the price for the sins that, we, that we've done, but we in our own ability could not afford to pay either. But glory to God and God's goodness, he paid the price for us. Glory to God for that. And if you're watching online or on site with us and you haven't made that profession of faith, you haven't said, Jesus, I'm tired of doing it on my own. I know I'm still part of the solution, but Lord, I know I can't do it without you being the leader, without you being the one who leads me. I just invite you to make that known right now. I invite you to pray with me. You can make it known by by just clicking on the link online for you right now or simply by coming forward on site here at the end of the service and talking with me more now. But let us take time and pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for those right now, Lord, I, I, but I feel like there are those here who, Lord, who don't have that relationship with you. So God, if, if that is indeed the case, Lord, I pray that, that, that you're speaking to them and that they will understand that this is 
what's missing in that life. That you, Lord, are the peace that's missing in their life. We thank you for the goodness of giving your son, Jesus. I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that convicts us of our need for Jesus. God, for those who do not have a relationship with you right now and want one in this moment, God, I just invite them to pray with me and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. For loving me enough to pay the price for my sins. I've tried to be good enough on my own. But Lord, I know that I can't and I need you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price. As you gave your life for me, I give you mine. And Lord, as people pray that in their lives, as those roots start to enter into this fertile soil of life with Jesus, I pray for all those of us here as well, Lord, who have a relationship with you, but we still turn to ourselves at times, wanting to do all things. God, I pray that we would be convicted of that right now. But, but not in a weighty sense, in a weight that sets freedom. In a weight that we be convicted, Lord, where we are free from self-sufficiency. And we can step into understanding the great power and strength that is available to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, as I found myself on my knees this week, just praying this verse over and over again. Lord, I could do all things through you. Lord, I just pray for the people here that we too would claim that verse. That where you have placed us, even though it may not be easy, Lord, that you are with us, that you strengthen us, and that because of you, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We pray this in Jesus' holy.